Welcome to Getting Wrecked, a podcast where two nerds share and discover one another's favorite books, movies, games, comics, and more, from old classics to the new hotness. It'll be familiar to one of us, new to the other, and if we're doing it right, entertaining for you. My name is Nicole. And I'm Jessie. Uh, very nice to have you with us this week, uh, as always. Um, <laughs> I'm doing my best radio voice today because my roommate is taking a nap and I'm hoping not to disturb him. So or th- hopefully you all will enjoy my laid back uh, recording style as I talk about laid back camp, the yes. 2018 uh, camping anime that Nicole had me watch. And I'm going to be talking about, let me get closer to the mic so I can get like the full ASMR effect. <laughs> it's gonna be that kind of podcast now um so just had me watch the 1997 sci-fi anime uh, sci-fi sci-fi anime sci-fi movie originally written by carl sagan contact (laughs) i'm not good at this (laughs) we're keeping this all in (laughs) You're from Boston. Boston doesn't do relaxing. No, we don't. We do. We, we're, we're, we're probably like the second most yelliest city in America after New York, <laughs> but possibly ahead of Chicago. Uh, yeah. My boss uh, is from, he lives in New York and, he, and he's like a really nice, chill guy until you start playing sports with him. And then he's just like terrifyingly intense. <laughs> it's like his inner New Yorker comes out. All right. Do we have anything we want to talk about before we get into our uh, our, our weekly discussion? Uh, how was your Memorial Day weekend? Uh, it was fine. We made a lot of pulled pork and... Oh, we got caught up on Steven Universe. Oh, good. <laughs> Which was great. So you know what everybody is angry about now. Oh. <laughs> I'm so excited. I don't understand why people are upset. This is, this is amazing. <laughs> no, Jess, the internet hates everything, so... Yeah, well... <laughs> can't hate everything something happened that they didn't like so therefore it is the worst thing that has ever happened (laughs) yep very true yeah (laughs) um oh we did also get another uh my dad wrote in again which is always nice to hear from uh he wanted to talk a little bit more about um uh it happened one night and uh why the last man which prompted me to uh, like talk a little bit about the um the names in why like we didn't really get a chance to talk to touch on when we talked about the comic last time. Um, like, for instance, so the cloning expert in the sh- in the comic is named Allison Mann, which, when you break it down, just breaks down to all is on man, which I forgot about, but I thought that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> also, the monkey's name is Ampersand, which is, if you're not a grammar nerd like me, is the little swirly and symbol that looks like an eight. It looks like a monkey. So, it, looks, it does look kind of like a monkey. It has a little tail, so, which is probably why York named him Ampersand. <laughs> also because York is an English nerd. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also love that York is named after, like, the one guy in Hamlet who was dead before the play even started and didn't even get to come back as a ghost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whereas in this, he's the only man still alive. Yes. I thought that was cute. <laughs> anyway. He also talked um, about us watching It Happened One Night and us being those dang millennials watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, where we're like, uh, where we're like complaining about like all the like weird technology, uh huh, and 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 nineteen thirty sensibilities. Well, and you know, he pointed out that for him, the movie came out only like twenty years before he was born. Um, uh, also, I came to the conclusion on an unrelated note, but also on the note of feeling old. Uh, I now work with uh, at least one person who was 
three years old when the Matrix came out. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> oh, She's no. probably more mature and grown up than me, but I feel really, really old. That reminds me, um, at one of my other jobs, I was like, one of the people who I worked with is about 10 years younger than me, and I had to explain to her what Seinfeld was. When she basically <laughs> came into work one day wearing, like, what is actually, like, the puffy shirt. Like, and I made us, like, a Seinfeld joke, and she was like, I don't get it. So I had to explain, I, I had to explain Seinfeld to, like, this 23-year-old girl. <laughs> She's very, very sweet, though, but it's just, like, it's just one of those things where it was like, oh, I'm an old now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my coworkers has a seven-year-old son, and they were driving in the car, and his son was like, Daddy, can we listen to something new? And Dad's he's like, shut up, Blink-182 is classic. <laughs> Oh, oh no. Uh, oh, anyway. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you're feeling anxious about getting old or anything really, uh, let's talk about high school. a relaxed a relaxed anime about let's, let's, cute girls doing cute let's things. Let's talk about high cutely. school girls in, not, in, yes. in a not creepy way. Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Laid Back Camp is uh, the English title of this anime series. It's also called Yurukyan or Yurukamp. Uh, yuru meaning laid back or chill or just relaxed. Uh, it's based on a manga by uh, someone whose name is just, who just goes by the name Afro. I couldn't <laughs> find any information about them. Um, but it's published in uh, Hobunsha's manga magazine, Manga Time Kirara Forward, which is a great name <laughs> since 2015, uh, which is, uh, it's a seinen manga series. So in, in Japanese, there in Japan, there's like, five main categories of manga there's manga for kids which is children's manga there's shoujo which is manga for young girls adolescent girls think like sailor moon shonen manga which is for young boys more like dragon ball z and naruto and bleach uh lots of fighting um and you know action and then there's jose which is women's manga which uh is for older women and tends to have usually be like romantic focused and then there's seinen manga, which is technically men's manga, but really it's just everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 really odd because it's like you'll see stuff like like Yuru Camp or like stuff that has uh-huh. these very like cute girls in it. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's probably for like young girls like to read that or teen girls like sure. to read that. And it's like, no, it's in like it's published in like a magazine that's sort of geared towards like guys in like their 20s <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah there's nothing about the the series that is especially like oh this is clearly for this is clearly for grown men i think it's it's more like well it's not it, it it's it's not written at a kitty level and it's not about superpowers or magical girls or romance therefore we're just going to say it's a seinen manga yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the vibe i got so it's a, that's the manga series and um the anime was 12 episodes long it ran from like uh january to march of this year i think mm-hmm. and it's mainly it's just mainly about these uh a group of teenage girls who are into camping and learn to be friends and just hang out together and go on camping trips and cook really delicious looking food together and uh so it's about cooking and camping and friendship and uh beautiful scenery yeah uh, it's very relaxed and chill yes uh, <laughs> so there's not there's not a lot of plot to speak of there's it's very low conflict 
it's uh so in watching this and in reading more about it i didn't realize that there's a whole genre of anime um it's not necessarily limited to just anime either but it's in japanese it's called iashike which means literally healing or therapy and it's a term used for anime or manga that is intended to have a soothing effect on the audience there's usually so there's usually an emphasis on like nature and on simple pleasures in life there's very little conflict uh, the characters are often very appealing and very non-threatening. Um, and like a Western equivalent or an example would be like Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, or um, for the most part, Steven Universe is very much the same way. Yes. Like, there, there, there is a bit more conflict in Steven Universe, but it's very yes. much just like, you know, the parts where they're just kind of like hanging out at the beach house. Yeah. yeah. Like I'd say about 70% of Steven yeah. Universe is very Iyashike <laughs> and uh, the remaining 30% is like epic space adventures yes. and, and feelings. <laughs> um, so uh, once I understood that, the, that the, the, this series made more sense to me because I was kind of like, when I, for, when I was first watching it, I'm like, okay, what's the point of this? <laughs> it's like, there's no stakes. Um, there's no conflict. It's cute, but I don't really get it. So I feel like I have a bit more of understanding now for the context because sometimes you just want to chill out and uh, watch something that makes you feel good. Yes. Um, well, there is there, there is kind of a plot. There is. There, there is. So it starts out with um, this high school girl named uh, Rin. Mm-hmm. Um, Shima Rin. Shima Rin. And she, like at the beginning of the series, it's like her going on a uh, so what, what 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 what's what's called solo camping so she always likes to go mm-hmm. camping by herself this is just always what she's done so she like mm-hmm. you know bikes to the uh, camping site by herself and sets up and just mm-hmm. likes to hang out and read and cook dinner and just kind of enjoy her surroundings and then she um ends up encountering this uh girl who just moved into town uh Nadeshko, who sort of adopts her to because she sees Rin camping develops her own interest in camping and wants to learn more about it and discovers that there mm-hmm. is an outdoor club at her high school yes it uh, turns out they go to the same school yes yeah, so her uh, Rin and Nadeshko go to the same school and she finds mm-hmm. the outdoors club and finds them and is surprised that you know Rin Rin, uh, Rin isn't part of the club and they're like well we tried to get her to join but she likes doing yeah. her own thing so whatever so because, because Rin is an introvert who values her <laughs> Her, her, uh, her personal space. Yes, and her, 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 <laughs> like, her, her own time. <laughs> I feel like if you're if you're a really introverted person, this could this, this could almost read like a horror story because I it's about like related this... to Rin on a spiritual level. In this. <laughs> it's about this introvert who just wants to be left alone and do her own thing, but this super extroverted girl keeps like following her and trying to get her involved and be social. And it's yes, like, no, <laughs> but they they develop this very cute mutual friendship. Um, yeah, so it's very sweet. So so a, a, a lot of the series is sort of like Nadeshko like learning the ins and outs of camping and sort of getting Mm -hmm. Rind to open up and be a little bit more comfortable with the idea of going camping with other people. So they have like their own Mm -hmm. little camping trip and then also Nadeshko goes camping with the other girls in the outdoor club and then eventually Mm -hmm. culminates in a uh, Christmas camping trip with like a bunch of people. (laughs) And that's sort of like, that's sort of like the grand finale of the, of the, of the season. (laughs) Yes. Rin finally goes on a group camping trip and has a good time. Yes. Um, (laughs) It's very cute. Yes. Yeah, so so the, the the main characters there's there's Nadeshko, who I'll talk about more. Uh, Rin, who as we already established is uh, very important to Nicole. She's <laughs> I can talk she's more a great about character. her in a bit. I, 
<laughs> yes, we'll talk more about both of those. Yeah. Um, so the outdoor club is uh, mainly composed of two other girls, uh, Chiaki, who is like, she's got glasses and she's very intense. Uh, she's the president of the club. Uh, those are probably her defining characteristics. And then this girl named Aoi, who is also called uh, Inuko, her full name is Inuyama Aoi, who <laughs> I feel like they couldn't decide on a single, like, defining, like, physical quirk for her so they just gave her like five yes <laughs> like she's got like the side ponytail and also the cute little fang and also the big boobs and also the giant eyebrows that not only do, are they visible through her hair but they're also visible like through her hats yes <laughs> <laughs> and she's just she's i didn't really get a good read for her character she's just she's kinda, just like, like the chillest yeah yeah she's she's the chillest of the chill laid-back girls yeah so i would say on the show Uh like rin and nadeshko are sort of like the plot a characters Mm -hmm. like they're sort of like the main plot and then the other two girls Mm -hmm. are kind of like the comedy relief plot b yes characters Uh, and then there's there's also uh saito and saito enna who is a friend of rin's who eventually gets dragged into the club activities too i like identified with her a lot because she's very clearly the mom friend yes (laughs) (laughs) and she has a cute dog she has such a cute dog which i think is the first time i've ever seen a chihuahua in an anime (laughs) (laughs) didn't recognize him at first i thought he was a weird looking corgi but yes she has this very cute chihuahua named chikua uh but like so, Rin's going on all these uh, uh, solo camping adventures, and she and Sa- she and Saito are texting and goofing off, and it just reminded me of like you and me, and like if, if yes, yes, the whole like so one of the running things on the show is like when like Rin is camping or like Nadeshko's camping, they'll like text each other and like send each mm-hmm. other photos and stuff, and it's mm-hmm. just like reminded me of like when you were in japan and you would be sending yes. me photos like hey i'm at this temple and i'd be like great i'm on the couch with my cat again and <laughs> just like but, but you get to go to cool places too and and like we've been our reader our listeners might not know this but we've been texting each other pretty much every day for about 17 years now <laughs> I mean, not 17 no, no, years. like 13 years. Uh, 13 years, yeah. yeah. But 13, we text each other every day since we were, since I was about 17. Oh, yeah. Uh, so about 13 years. Yeah. So, and it, it, it's funny because, like, that the, the, that was always, like, something that surprised me every time they get to a campsite and pull out their phones and start texting. I'm like, you can do that? <laughs> because. Yes, I am, I am, I am, I am one, surprised by that they can have a signal yeah, out there. Like, and then two, they have incredible battery life on those phones <laughs> yes clearly not a lot of <laughs> because they're there. also like streaming music while they camp and stuff on their phones mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um but yeah I, I i really liked how they how like how like texting was incorporated mm-hmm. into sort of the narrative about like you know they're all kind of like keeping up with what other, what you know what each other's doing but in, in a way that felt that feels like very natural <laughs> Yes, and very much, you know, normal for teenagers these days, you know, like you just can't, you always in contact with your friends, you have a group text, uh, just, just keeping in touch. Yeah. Something that was a bit different when we were that age, (laughs) but feels very true to life. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's see. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, there are a couple other characters that I wanted to touch on who are uh, who I, both of whom I enjoyed. Uh, Nadeshko's older sister Sakura. Yes. Who, <laughs> uh, just it was like first of all the best big sister ever because 
uh, at one point, not only does she, like, drive her little sister to this campground to, like, so she can hang out with Rin while Rin's camping, but because Sakura, not Sakura, because Nadeshko doesn't have her own camping equipment at that point, uh, but she wants to spend the night at the campsite and hang out with Rin in the morning, uh, Sakura, like, parks at, like, parks at the, the campsite and, like, sleeps in the car overnight so that Nadeshko can also sleep in the car. I'm <laughs> just like... You are the best big sister. <laughs> Either that or uh, your little sister has some serious dirt on you and is blackmailing you into this. <laughs> well, I think um, I think it's also like, so they just moved to that town at the beginning of the mm-hmm. show. So yeah, they did. So Nadeshko's like still trying to get friends and sort of figure mm-hmm. out what's going on. So I think her sister is just happy that she got this friend right away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the other character is uh, uh, Toba Sensei. Yes. The, who... Turns becomes their the history teacher and also eventually the uh, uh, club advisor. But uh, they are, she's originally introduced when Rin and Nadeshko are on a camping trip together and they meet these uh, what they think is a is a is a young couple. It actually is a pair of sisters, uh, and one of them is just completely smashed the entire time. <laughs> and it turns out that that's their that's their new teacher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also wanted to mention the other important character, which is. Uh... The narrator, who is also Rin's yes. grandfather. <laughs> yes. Who is uh, voiced by Akio Atsuka, who you mm-hmm. may know as Solid Snake from the Metal Gear Solid video games. <laughs> and about a million other things. He's yes, been voice it, acting yes. for decades. <laughs> Anytime there's like this deep voiced, cool sounding, older Japanese gentleman voice, there's a good chance it's that guy. Yes. Uh, but I just like the idea that like... Solid Snake is, like, training his granddaughter to be, like, this outdoor survivalist. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, there's there's very few male characters in the show. Uh, the only, I think the only male characters are Chikawa the Chihuahua, um, uh, Sakura Nadeshko's dad, who has, like, two lines, and, uh, and Rin's grandfather. Yeah. Who, also only has like two lines but he appears from time to time he's clearly important to her he's he also loves camping and she takes after him in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh and he also is the the narrator who is like will sort of know, pop in and per- explain like this is what this kind of tent is and this mm-hmm. is how you season a cast iron skillet and yes <laughs> i just love that i just love on the show that there is like a five minute sequence of how to properly season a cast iron skillet i when that came yeah. up i was like yeah <laughs> I love that this is an anime. <laughs> yes. Like it clearly um you know one of the the goals of the anime is to make camping seem fun and accessible and encourage people to do it and one of the ways it does that is by talking, you know, candidly about the sort of supplies you need for camping and, you know, uh like simple meals you can create while camping. And um, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's usually when the narrator comes in. Yeah. And um, and a lot of the camping sites shown on the anime are based on actual camping sites, which have which have seen which which have seen a great uptick in popularity since the anime came out. Yes. Yeah. In the months since uh, I read something that said in the months since the anime aired, several of the camping sites featured in the anime have had. Uh, their reservations and bookings triple yeah <laughs> just in the past few months um and it's especially interesting because the anime is set entirely during the winter and mm-hmm. the late fall uh which is the off season for camping and so which is why Rin likes to go because there's nobody around yes <laughs> <laughs> like, like like there's a scene where she goes to a camping site and there's like five other people there and she's like oh it's crowded <laughs> <laughs> 
There's also an excuse to put everybody in these really cute winter outfits with these yes, puffy jackets and yes. cute hats and like yeah the, the the character designs on the show are, are very very endearing yes they're like, very everyone cute. just looks like very uh, round and are always wearing like these big scarves and puffy coats and just looks very cozy and <laughs> yes um but yeah so there's a lot of uh verisimilitude and uh, accuracy in the locations not just the um the specific campsites and and natural sites that these girls go to but like just the roads leading up to them uh and like camping offices uh there's um a post on uh on twitter where someone found like or took photographs of the actual locations and put it side by side with the stills from the anime and it's just very clearly like yes this is that building this Mm -hmm. is that rest stop at the side of the road this is that tunnel um so it's uh the whole thing is basically uh uh, an advertisement for camping in the yamanashi area (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so what do you want to talk about in depth first do you want to talk about like uh, yeah let's talk a little bit about Nadeshko, because I found her kind of a, 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 a difficult character in some ways to for me to to me to for me to like, because she's a, a character type that often tends to get on my nerves, <laughs> which is to say a young woman, like in this case, you know, she's 16 years old. She's uh, but she's got the mentality of a small child, like. She's naive, she's ditzy, she's impulsive, she's easily confused or distracted, she's generally passive, except when she gets excited about something, she eats a ton but never puts on weight. Um, Basically, if she were an actual five-year-old or maybe a golden retriever, I'd probably like her a lot more, but because she's supposed to be like a 16-year-old girl, she just feels unrealistic and kind of fetishy to me. (laughs) But... (laughs) But, like, she is very cute, but it's just, like, that, especially because that trope often comes up in anime, especially anime that's more fan servicey. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look at this, you know, sweet, helpless uh, woman who has, you know, basically a child, uh, a child's mentality. You, sh- you sh- Don't you want to protect her? Uh, it, it just kind of bothers me a little bit. But th- she was certainly not the most egregious example of that. It just reminded me of other more egregious examples of that trope, and it kind of bothered me <laughs> oh um I, I i i went away from the series thinking that she actually has a lot of emotional intelligence um mm. not like actual intelligence but a lot of like emotional intelligence <laughs> like she can tell sort of right away that you know camping alone is sort of rin's thing and while she wants mm-hmm. to befriend rin and share this interest in her she never tries to push her too much into that yeah. And whenever she tried, you know, whenever she asked, you know, hey, Rin, do you want to, like, come camping with, you know, with the group of us sometimes? Mm-hmm. She never tries to, like, she's just, and, 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 and when Rin, like, says, like, no, 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 I'm fine by myself, she's never, she's just like, oh, okay. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll That's just try, true. That's very you know. true. And I just really like the way the show handles introverts because uh-huh. i relate to it way too much <laughs> yes so rin i just like i feel rin like on a spiritual level of just like i want to go off and buy myself away from people and do my own thing and not be bothered and oh no there are people who share my interests and want to do things with me this is the worst thing ever Mm-hmm. I just, I oh, I relate to that so much. But also on the show, that's not shown as being bad. It's yeah. just like, it's just like, that's the way she likes to do things. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're right. Like I think, yeah, Nadeshko does have a a a, a, high, a heightened emotional intelligence, especially when it comes to Rin. And I think that's that's what ultimately I I ended up liking about the character is that you know she wasn't just this sort of dit- shallow ditz trope. Yeah, um, like she doesn't try to push Rin right away into like hanging out. She's just like, okay, I'll like meet you at this campsite and cook you dinner, mm-hmm. and we can hang out for a bit. But then you know I'll go back home. So yes. You know, it's um, sort of like builds it up and it's like, okay, we'll go like camping just by ourselves one time. <laughs> yes. Um, well, and also the, I thought, you know, the fact that she's named Nadeshiko is interesting because that automatically uh, sort of conjures up the notion of the Yamato Nadeshiko, mm. which uh, is sort of the, sort of the idealized concept of Japanese womanhood. Yes. Like um, it, it, that's Yamato Nadeshiko is, is, uh, I forget exactly what it translates to, but it's sort of like the, in in Japanese popular culture, it's the idea of like tr- the traditionally the perfect Japanese woman uh, as of like the mid 19th century <laughs> is basically what that means. Um, and it's, so it's like someone who is very, uh, you know, kind and gentle and domestic, uh, but also like, you know, strong when she needs to be. And, uh, like, it was interesting is, like, to, to think of this show's Nadeshiko as an example of Yamato Nadeshiko. Because in some ways she is, in some ways she isn't. Um, yeah. She's definitely got the uh, domesticity part. She likes to cook. She loves to cook. And she, uh, she, she, it's so cute. Like, she starts talking, whenever she, like, starts cooking and setting up campsite, she starts talking like an old granny. Yes. Which, uh, <laughs> which Rin finds endearing. Rin also seems to have this kind of, like... They have this kind of like phantom thread relationship where Rin really likes to watch her eat. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Just because uh, Nadeshko always thinks whatever she eats looks so delicious because she's enjoying it so much. Even if it's like, even even if it's like shitty cup ramen, she's just like, oh, this is the best thing ever. So good. (laughs) There's uh, there's no poison mushrooms in this anime, though. No. Uh, (laughs) But uh uh, but I related to that because I, I too, am very food motivated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the food in this show was so good. Yeah, like, there's so a lot amazing. of like really great food porn in this mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. anime. If you're like super, just like you know, various things cooking on fire, you know, like fire, like little campfires and, mm-hmm, and grills and yeah, uh, like there's a. Uh, so I, one one of the questions I had for you was. Uh, uh, of the meals shown in this anime, which one did you most want to go eat? Um, probably the hot pot, but it would have to be a vegetarian version, but I the did- The gyoza hot pot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, gyoza hot pot. Mm-hmm. Nice. I'm sure that could what be arranged. What about you? Uh, probably the, um, it's a, uh, just the, the, the barbecue yes. uh, meat that Rin and Nadeshko <laughs> have, where Rin gets this tiny little uh, barbecue, like portable barbecue, where they can just grill meat right on top of it. Uh, that, and also at one point, she takes this big juicy uh, pork bun and just like grills it in a sandwich, like a panini grill. Yes, and just eats it with gyoza sauce. And I'm like, oh my god, that sounds amazing. That. Uh, <laughs> um, the little grill that Rin has, they have a. Uh, Udo Camp branded version that you can buy now. <laughs> like... Of course. Um, <laughs> apparently, uh, Rin's moped also sold out at one point oh, after the show aired. Oh, nice. The, the exact <laughs> model of, uh, I think it's Yamaha Vino yeah. that she drives. Um, I also like uh, 
there's an episode where they go shopping for like camping equipment and Mm -hmm. so i come from like my parents would take us camping when we were kids like Mm -hmm. all the time and it was funny on the show they would have sort of like the you know change it like 10 percent version of like specific camping gear (laughs) where it was Uh like i could uh like i could just look at it and be like oh that's like coleman that's like Uh l.l bean like but they just like changed it slightly (laughs) and Mm -hmm. like i recognized all of it (laughs) yeah another thing i wanted to do was sort of compare notes on our own camping experience because i haven't been camping much um but I live in the Pacific Northwest where there's a, a, certainly a huge outdoors culture. <laughs> um, and uh, so it was kind of funny to, to see, like, particularly Nadeshko, like, just losing her shit because she gets to visit what is basically an REI. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but a lot of the, the people I know who are really into camping are also, like, really into, like, backpacking and hiking mm-hmm. and uh, mountaineering and, like... I'm I'm more of a laid back kind of camper. I'm like, sure, I'll, that sounds like fun if we just go in for like one night and then get to maintain cell service and yeah. <laughs> just go home the next day. Uh, so um, and you don't you don't see as much of that uh, up here. You just there's a lot of people for whom it is really a lifestyle. Yeah, uh, which it is not for me. <laughs> but <laughs> I do like being outside. I like uh, there's so many beautiful places to visit in the Northwest. So. Uh, uh, this this show did make me want to go out and enjoy them more. Mm. What about you? You mentioned that your 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 family would go on camping trips, which is yeah, not something my family so ever did. So my parents would take my brother and I like a lot in the summers when we were kids. I just remember, you know, always having to sleep in like the slightly musty smelling tent and uh, just kind of like hanging out and. Um, you know, we would always cook, like, bacon and sausage for breakfast. That was, like, my favorite thing. Um, Aww. Nice. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, that, that was always just, like, a big part of my childhood. And obviously, I was, like, I was a Girl Scout, so I had that camping experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but nowadays, like... I don't go camping and my parents don't really do camping anymore. Like they prefer to Aww. stay in a place that has like a hot shower and Wi-Fi. <laughs> Fair. Um, you know, like they'll go like hiking and biking and all that stuff, but it's like, if they're staying anywhere, it's like, no, it has to be like an actual structure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'd like to stay somewhere with a roof. Yeah. And like a private shower and actual that's, that's bathrooms. Fair. But Well, next time next time you visit the Northwest, we should go camping together or something. Ooh, maybe. Yeah. Or at least hiking. Yes, definitely. You need to come here in the summer and we can uh, get up under the mountains. Yeah, but it was it was um, it was just fun like seeing them like you know mm-hmm, set up their mm-hmm. little camping sites on the show and like kind of like oh yeah yeah, yeah. you know it's like yep yeah. it's like yep yeah, you have to set the tarp down and then you put the tent mm-hmm. on top of that and yep that's mm-hmm, how you do mm-hmm. the fire and <laughs> like all the little like camping equipment that you can fold up super small i remember mm-hmm. all of that stuff <laughs> mm-hmm. so. yeah that's always the uh the, the 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 stressful part for me is like remembering having to pack everything and remember everything and then pack it up again and then when you're not using it it just sits in your garage and takes up space yes <laughs> so, um the last when was the last time you went camping oh god probably like so i want to say like middle school the last camping trip i really remember was um it was my parents took us like in october and it got really cold all of a sudden. Mm. So we were literally, and we like, we weren't like really expecting that. So we just like, were completely miserable for like three nights. Oh. Like, like, not, like, not like, I, I, I don't think I took off my coat the entire time we were, were camping. I was just like, I'm, 
I'm cold and it's miserable. And dad, why did you do this to us? (laughs) And I brought like a friend with me and I was just like, I'm sorry, this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the last like time I really remember going camping. Okay. Um, (laughs) It's it's funny. I, like I said, I didn't camp much as a kid, but my, my, my most recent camping experience was just a few years ago. Um, when, uh, I had been, my friends and I had already been planning to go up into the mountains to do some uh, river rafting. Um, And it just so happened that the weekend we were planning to go, or the day, you know, like the night before we were planning to go, uh, there was some unusual uh, solar activity that was going to cause the aurora to be visible much further south than normal, to the point where it might even have been visible in the northwest. So we obviously weren't going to be able to see anything from Seattle because of light pollution. Uh, but we thought, hey, it's, you know, it, it, it's only September and we're going to be driving up into the mountains tomorrow anyway. So let's go up tonight and camp out somewhere and maybe see the Aurora. So we kind of threw it together at the last minute uh, and um, camped out on this lakeside and didn't see the Aurora. But it was a clear night and the stars were beautiful. Nice. So that was really nice, but it was also very cold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I did not sleep well, be mo- mostly because I kept waking up because I was so cold. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of a zombie the next day, but fortunately managed to not fall off the raft when we were <laughs> doing our river rafting. Yeah. Um, um, I like on the, on a weirder camp, most of the camping sites that they go to always have a view of Mount Fuji. <laughs> Yes. And that's like a yes. very important part of the show is like they always mm-hmm. have to have like this view of Mount Fuji. So it's 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 funny. Like I I could I could talk a lot about the show. Like it just seems like a very like simple sort of like cute girls doing cute things anime, but uh-huh. I think that like there's like a lot more going on to this. Like it's sort of like encouraging the young people who watch anime to get back into the nature and also mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's Mount Fuji, which is like the symbol of Japan and you need to be proud uh-huh. of like nature and the environment <laughs> in Japan and uh-huh. um, <laughs> also like I just I love sort of the approach they take to okay, so like there's like the subgenre of anime called like hobby anime, which is like mm-hmm. you know, you have like your one hobby and the anime is sort of all about like getting into it and explaining it and usually Mm -hmm. they're sort of like kind of like pricey hobbies or it's like it has sort of like a pricey component to it like i know when like k-on came out all the otaku suddenly got into like wanting to own a guitar and learn how to play a guitar and obviously guitars are Mm -hmm. very expensive um so but i like on yudu camp they make they, they they make camping accessible both like by explaining it very simply and then also showing like cheaper alternatives that you can use when you go mm-hmm. camping. So yes, it's not you have to buy it's not like you need like the bag. super fancy equipment. Like they show like you know hey this is like you know some sleeping bags cost like three hundred dollars but you can also get this cheaper one and sort of like modify it in ways that'll still work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so and it makes sense on the show because it's like they're high school girls and they have part-time jobs so they don't have too much mm-hmm. money but yeah it's an anime that's largely directed towards like people in their 20s mm-hmm. um who probably also because of the way the economy just is like you know here and also in japan the economy's not mm-hmm. great um just like people who don't have a lot of money but shouldn't feel shut out of doing this activity because of a lack lack of funds. So Mm -hmm. I just really like the way it approached this by being like, here's like less expensive ways that you can do this. (laughs) 
mm-hmm. instead of always needing like the super premium expensive equipment in order to do it quote unquote correctly. This yeah. is just more about like, no, 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 just get out there and figure it out. Yeah, you and can do it I, casually I, and cheaply. I and really, still do really it. liked that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I obviously like think I've, I've watched the show a bunch of times since it came out. It was like really, really popular in the winter anime season and mm-hmm. have just you know, obviously have taken away probably way more than it initially intended to. Um, <laughs> I just feel like thinking about the show a lot. I love it. No, that's, that's great. So. <laughs> uh, do you know if the, if the manga is being released in English? Because I, I know the manga is still ongoing. Yeah, I don't know yet. I also don't know if a season two has been announced as well. Um, in addition to the 12 season anime, there is an OVA that's on one of the Blu-rays that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, 12 episode anime, you mean? Yeah, 12 episode anime. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also like an OVA, uh, which is basically just like a little short about um, the outdoor club, like trying to figure mm-hmm. out cheaper ways to go camping. Uh, how, they, how they got formed. Yeah, yeah, how they got formed, basically. Um, uh, I do like that... Um, because we find out that the the so the the high school has a hiking club, uh, which is a proper club, and then the there's the outdoor activities club, which is really it's really officially a circle because it's just it's not an official school club because at first it only has like two members and then they get in a get in a disco and then they have three, but it's still like not quite enough to be a real club. Yeah, uh, and I like how you find out that Chiaki and Aoi started the the outdoors club because the hiking club was too intense yes like, this is a little more than we're looking for we, we just, just want to camp out and chill yeah we just want the, <laughs> the the whole series is about like just having a good time and chilling mm-hmm. like, yeah the 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 one thing that really there were two things that really clearly set it apart from uh american and specifically pacific northwest camping is that the they always had cell service and there was no weed <laughs> <laughs> Because it's weed is hell of illegal in Japan, and also, and also, you can be a sixteen-year-old girl on a moped camping by yourself. Yeah, with that was no like, problems. Yeah, I was I was impressed with Rin's mom, who was just like, "Oh, okay, you're going to uh, you're going to basically, you know, drive off on this moped into the next state and uh, go camping by your own. Have fun." Yeah, you're going to drive like a hundred miles to Nagano and go camping for a weekend. Mm-hmm. Bye, <laughs> bye. Uh, but yes, Rain is clearly very responsible. And I did look it up. Uh, you only have to be 16 to get a license to drive a, a moped in Japan, although you need to be at least 18 to drive a car. Yes. So. And I and I, and I, and I, I liked on her moped, she had the little uh, new driver sticker on it. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I love the attention to detail. Yes. And, uh, uh, it was very clearly, um, or it seemed to me that it was, it was done with a lot of love for the locations that it was showing. Mm-hmm. And um made me wonder like where the I wish I knew more about the the manga creator because I don't know where they're from or like if this is based on their own experiences um but yeah that was very cute okay so yeah if you want Um, something like really chill to watch mm -hmm. you know you could like pop open a beer or Mm-hmm. imbibe some other substances and just like lay back and watch this and it's super chill and awesome yes. <laughs> and it will probably make you want to go out and ex- enjoy nature yes it certainly made me want to go back to japan Aww. Uh, so yes thank you for recommending that that was cute oh i did also want to ask so i asked you the question about which which meal you would you would like most what uh which 
camping location would you most want to go to? Um, probably the Christmas camping one because it had the onsen. Mm, yes, the onsen <laughs> is very important. That's another important aspect of, of camping in Japan that uh, you can't get around here is hot springs. Yes, they're There's everywhere. multiple episodes of people like some. There's like you said, there's the one place that has hot springs on site and then there's others where it's like they go stop at hot springs on their way to the campsite and i'm just like oh my god i want to go to there (laughs) (laughs) okay let's try let's try this again (laughs) the aliens got us last time Yes, let's talk contact. Let's uh, talk contact. This is the second time we're trying to record this because our Wi-Fi kept dying. Well, they don't or, have to know that. Or it was the interference of aliens or secret government agents or... Or possibly God. Or weird technocratic billionaires floating in outer space. <laughs> yes, one of those things. Definitely not just that my house is made of chicken wire and... Uh, <laughs> Wi-Fi the Wi-Fi goes problem. in and out, yes. <laughs> but we could just pretend that none of that happened and they wouldn't know. They would no. have no idea. No, we're leaving uh, this all in through the magic of editing. <laughs> yes, through the magic of not editing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's talk Contact. Yes, so you had me watch uh, Contact, which is a sci-fi movie from 1997. It's based on a book and film treatment by Carl Sagan and his wife. Um, they originally wrote it back in the 70s and then they wrote a film treatment for it in the 80s. It sat in development hell for a very long time. Yeah. Until uh, Robert, Robert Zemeckis swooped in and rescued it and gave us this wonderful film. This wonderful sci-fi film. Yes. <laughs> Wonderfully 90s sci-fi film. <laughs> about scientists trying to get funding. Yes, yes. Most of the movie, <laughs> this, this very exciting movie about scientists trying to secure funding. Yes. <laughs> Which is about 75% of what the movie is. And then it's like 25% aliens. But yes. it's mostly about them getting funding. Because it's written by a scientist, so... Yes. He knows He knows the truth. It's not all mm-hmm. crazy, exciting experiments and like discoveries and stuff and flashing lights it's trying to convince politicians to give you money (laughs) yes this is very much it's science fiction but it's not it's not exactly your typical hollywood sci-fi no like it's it's written uh and created by people who either know a lot about science and working in science or people who were listening very closely to those people yes so (laughs) uh, that's one of the things i like about it yes uh, so this stars uh, Jodie Foster as mm-hmm. uh, Ellie Arroway. She is a science a researcher working on the SETI project, which is uh, basically trying to uh, listening in on radio waves from outer space to determine if any of them could be alien in origin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... the the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, which yes is is a real thing that was started up. I want to say in the sixties, uh, but I, I that, that's it sounds a like a guess. very sixties thing. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, the the movie uh, both shows both the the huge dish in Arecibo, Port Puerto Rico, which I think is the single biggest satellite dish yeah. in the world, and also the the aptly but not exactly creatively titled very large array in uh, in New Mexico, which is <laughs> you've probably seen even if you haven't seen this movie. It's just like this desert plain full of satellite dishes, and they can 
move them as groups to point at whatever part of the sky. It's very cool. Yes. Uh, so, but let's, I, I would suggest we, we sort of start at the beginning because the opening scene of this movie is, I, I think is really cool. So the beginning of the movie is very interesting. It's sort of like a very uh, Terrence Malick-esque uh, sort of <laughs> zoomed out view of like planet Earth and then the solar system and the Milky Way. And as mm-hmm. it's zooming out, you hear snippets of various uh, radio and television broadcasts because obviously everything that's being broadcast on Earth makes its way into outer space. Mm-hmm. So and continues to go. Yes, and 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 continues to go. So um, and this plays into the film later. But um, so as it's close to Earth, it's sort of more recent, you know, well-known broadcast from like the '90s and '80s. And then as you get uh-huh. further out, it's like the '70s and '60s. Like you hear like a snippet of a disco song, mm-hmm. and like the Beatles, I think, mm-hmm. and like I think like MLK's "I Have a Dream" speech. I think is mm-hmm. they just toss that in there. Just, yep. you know, very like snippets of like very famous uh, radio broadcasts, and like as it gets further and further out, it goes you know further back in time until it's like mm-hmm. the you know the thirties and the twenties. <laughs> yeah, and then eventually you get it, it, it becomes completely silent because yes. you're now so far out into space that no human radio broadcasts have reached there yet. Yes, um, and that happens like in my recollection, relatively quickly, like you, so it starts off sort of in earth orbit and then it pulls back from earth past the other planets in the solar system. And then it leaves the solar system and starts passing other stars. And, uh, after a long time, it, it, after eventually it pulls into out of the galaxy entirely. And then it starts passing like other galaxies and you're seeing other galaxies as if they were stars. And for the most part, like all of that is silent. So it also makes you realize it, it, it helps for me, it helps sort of drive home just how fucking big space is. Yes. <laughs> like, not only are we a tiny speck into it, but the the radio, the, 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 the literally, you know, light speed broadcasts that we've been putting out for the past, you know, 100 plus years have only covered a tiny amount of that distance. Yes. Yeah, so the bubble of our influence is slowly expanding, but it's so tiny in comparison to everything that's out there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, and it, this, I think this was deliberately done as an homage to the powers of 10 documentary. Yes, definitely. I was th- yeah. Yeah. We watched it in um, art school because it's by uh, Charles and Ray Eames, who are sort of a very famous mm-hmm. like design couple from the fifties and sixties. Like, yeah, I've heard of the Eames. I didn't know that they directed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they so they did that. You've you know they've they've done like a ton of other stuff. Like mm-hmm. we just learned all about them in art school. So <laughs> that's cool. And um, yeah, I I I assume I I assumed you were going to say science class because that's where I watched it. Uh, no, we watched. Times, probably, no, they're but... very they're very like an influential design. Like you've probably seen like the famous Eames chair and oh yeah, like I yeah. know about them. I knew that they were designers. <laughs> okay, so but but you listeners, you've probably seen this as well, especially if you went to public school in the same era we did. Uh, I think it's from like 1977 and it starts off like zooming out and out and out and out and out and then goes back and zooms in and in and in and in and shows you like the inside of a human body and how what, what like a cell is made of and DNA and whatnot. So anyway, it's definitely a, yeah. a sort of a, a shout out to that. But then as it's continuing to pull out and out and out, it comes back. So you're seeing just, you know, this, this endless, uh, ocean of black with these galaxies and then it just sort of pulls out through the eye of 
tiny Ellie, like 12-year-old Ellie. Yes, as she's baby sitting. Ellie, who is played by Jenna Malone from the Hunger Games movies. Oh, is she? Yeah. I didn't I didn't know anything about that, yeah. that actress. <laughs> no, no, she's still working. She's cool. Cool. Um yeah, so it uh it uh gets to 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 baby Ellie. And mm-hmm. she's like definitely like elementary school age and she's mm-hmm. uh lives with her father. Her mother uh passed away at some mm-hmm. point before then, probably before mm-hmm. Ellie was too young to remember anything really cuz she yeah. doesn't really remember her mom. Mm-hmm. But her dad got her into a uh, ham radio, like playing around with mm-hmm. ham radio. So their thing is that they try to see the, how far they can pick up a signal from other uh, ham radio users. So at the beginning of the movie, they get all the way to Florida. And I think they live yeah. in like Wisconsin or something. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. somewhere in the Midwest. So they, so, so, so they're able to get to Florida and uh, Ellie then draws like a picture of like a beach with a palm tree and hangs it up in her mm-hmm. room because she likes to draw mm-hmm. all the places that they're able to contact on the yeah. radio. She's very excited. Yes, it's very, very cute. Um, and, uh, you know, asks her dad like if they could possibly contact her mother using the radio. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. sort of starts her kind of obsession with being able to contact people using radio signals and sort of her obsession with that and seeing how far you know far out she can get to you know not just like the physical Mm -hmm. world around her but sort of like beyond that yeah (laughs) which plays into the film later i don't know if i'd say she is obsessed necessarily but it's definitely something that drives her yeah like especially after the death of her father which we see uh happens not long after that and is obviously traumatic for her Mm -hmm. and also employs another of the another very interesting and cool shot where like you see her cause her father, I think he has a heart attack and she's running yeah. up the stairs to get his medicine. And you see her coming up the stairs and running in slow motion down the hall towards the camera. Uh, and then she reaches up and opens the screen because what you've actually been looking at is the mirror of the medicine cabinet. So you're seeing her reflection as she runs mm-hmm. towards it and opens it. And apparently like they had to use a, bunch of different effects to, to actually, you know, make that shot work. Uh, <laughs> but it's very cool and very, like, disorienting. Yeah. And uh, uh, very effective, I thought. So, um, yeah, it's like, sadly, her father passes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the movie cuts to about 20 years later. And she is uh, a researcher at uh, the huge dish mm-hmm. down in Puerto Rico. So mm-hmm. she's using that... Uh, to continue on her research, her 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 SETI research, and she's mm-hmm. we we meet like the other scientists that she works with, and they're all like friends, and mm-hmm. kind of, you know they're they they all have their own little quirks. Um, one thing I yes. notice is that I don't think there's any other women scientists that we see in the movie, which is mm-hmm. odd. <laughs> it's sort of like yeah. she's like she, she's like she's like the one lone lady scientist in the movie. Yeah. And and, it's true. and 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 yeah, she's like she's like the main character but she's like the only like lady scientist in the movie and mm-hmm. I think like if this was made like now there would probably be more women Hopefully, scientists yeah. shown. <laughs> yeah. Um, cuz like cuz like the only other scientists she works with are are dudes. And like they're mm-hmm. they're they're good dudes but they're all dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um well and I th- I think it's it it um for at the time, you know, like 20 years ago just having like the main character 
Like, having a female scientist at all, much yeah. less have her be the main character. Was no, no, no. Like, I, I definitely recognize that it's like, yeah, it's definitely no, I, like, I, it was, it was, it was very, like, important for its time. Mm-hmm. It's just like, looking back at it now, it's just like, oh, basically, other than Angela Bassett, everybody mm-hmm. that she interacts with in the movie is a man. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I think that speaks a lot to the, the ten, the bias we tend to have when we're writing. We just sort of consider things that we we consider certain things to be the sort of default like yeah we don't make or when writers you know they don't make characters female unless their femaleness is somehow important to the character and they like they don't make right make characters people of color unless their race is somehow important to mm-hmm. the plot like otherwise they just sort of default to making everyone white and everyone male and straight and uh you know i think that's that's a natural human thing um we sort of consider our own frame of reference to be the default, uh, but it's a good it's good to be aware of that and challenge that when you're when you're writing. So I think that's yeah, something and, that people and are more aware of these days and hopefully continue to be more aware of. Yeah, and it's not like the movie is ever like you know oh she's a lady scientist and she has to yeah. like, fight against sexism. It's just like it's just uh-huh. like no 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 she's just she's just she's just doing her thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, Ellie <laughs> is one of my favorite. Uh, movie heroines yeah <laughs> um, you know even even 20 years later she's still up she's up she's definitely in in the the, the top 10 for me yeah uh, um I, I i quickly want to talk about like her wardrobe in this movie which i love sure she's just wearing she's always wearing like these very like comfortable like shorts and like shirts and just like everything's mm-hmm. mismatched and she has like these big like silly hats and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know her hair is always sort of like in like a messy ponytail like she's like i'm too yeah. busy i'm too busy doing science yes yeah well, and, and you know she 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 very much even though she's played by jodie foster who is obviously a beautiful woman she looks she looks like a scientist she doesn't yes. look like a movie star yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah they like they definitely like you know all the scientists from like, from like, I'm, 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 I'm friends with, you know, people who work in the sciences and it's like, mm-hmm. I could definitely like see them in all the science characters in this movie. Yes. And, like the way they act and the way they dress and stuff. It's just like, oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not that like, sounds... they're not like, you know, quote unquote movie scientists. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not Hollywood science. No. Uh. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. She's, so she's uh, doing work down in Puerto Rico and she meets, uh, or, She's approached by uh, this guy named Palmer, who's played by a very uh, fluffy-haired, soft-eyed Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yes. Who is, like, very clearly the love interest in this movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, he, is, he is, like, from, 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 from shot one, he is, like, yes, this is, like, the non-threatening love interest. <laughs> yeah, which I, I think there's a, there was an interview from with, uh, around the time the... the the movie came out where Jodie Foster with Jodie Foster where they were talking about Matthew McConaughey's character and she's like oh yeah he's got the girl's part yeah yes uh, yes so it's absolutely true like he is absolutely like he provides all like the, the he provides like all of like the emotional support yeah and he <laughs> doesn't really have you know much of a, of a role apart from what he provides for uh uh Jodie Foster's character yes um like it, it's it's just so it's so interesting to be like uh, to to see that because that sort of presentation of a character is so common in movies starring men with female love interests. It it, it the first time I saw it, it uh, it was surprising and and you know to see the the, the script flipped in that sort of way. Yeah, it, and um... now it just makes me think of how um, 
in uh, the second Captain America movie, like the relationship between Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson, like Sam is absolutely in terms of how he shot <laughs> and how his arc is. And like, and I, I'm not saying that they are a couple at all, but I'm saying like the emotional role. There's a lot of, of fan fiction that would say otherwise. N- well, not even that, but just like the way that he's shot <laughs> yes, and, and yes. the, 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 the role that he has in stories, absolutely the love interest. It's just platonic. Yes. Like, <laughs> um, it also, it, 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 it also reminded me of uh, Arrival. Which I have not seen yet. Yes, but it's like but. very much the same way where it's like the main character is a woman and in the, in, the, in, in the case of Arrival, she's not like a scientist, she's a linguist. Uh-huh. Played by Amy Adams and like the, 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 the you know, the, the emotional support love interest is mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy Renner. And there Aww. were like some interviews after the movie came out where he was sort of saying like, yeah, like my character didn't really have that much to do. And then it's like, oh, wait, this is like every single female role ever. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, yep. So it's, it's. Nice to see this in, the, in this movie from over like twenty years ago. <laughs> yes, and he's I like I like Palmer. I like I his do character. Like Palmer. I like the way he's portrayed. I do like like he's... very young, fluffy haired Matthew. Oh, McConaughey. he's so cute. He's and very he's, cute. Like he's very and, sweet. And he's not. And he's, he's just he's, uh... immediately smitten with Ellie. Oh like, yeah, you can tell he's just like he's just like one hundred and fifty percent in like the first time he sees her. Yeah, um, and he's a um. He, I forget. Is, is he a uh, um? Uh, a missionary at that point because he's um uh, i think he's more like a no he's a writer so he's like okay. a, he's like a christian philosopher yeah so he just like is sort of writes a lot about religion and goes on like news talk shows and talks about religion and mm-hmm. stuff so mm-hmm. he's sort of like a a pop pastor yeah but, kind uh, of um and the, the, we'll, the, this movie will return a lot to sort of the the dynamic and interplay between science and religion um but it's a lot less like uh, oppositional than you usually see those presented in yes. uh, both in pop culture and in like actual uh, in the news and in you know things that actually happen in, in real life politics. Yes. So like that's another thing I like about this movie is like these things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he and he and Ellie have this you know really they banter a lot and uh, they flirt and then they totally bone down and. <laughs> And then, and then Ellie's like, okay, I got to bounce and leave you because I have to go do science. And he's just like, no, wait. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, and then science happens. And then so science then we get happens. to the, the, the titular contact. So yeah, like they sort of go their own ways. Like he leaves her a number for her, but she doesn't really take it. She's just like, okay, whatever. This was just a fling. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, what is it? Her, 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 it's it's her, is it her boss or like their main funder shows up? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, but they're they're having trouble with funding. Yeah, as, as scientists are wont to do. Yes, yeah, so their uh, their research gets shut down for now. Mm-hmm. So they and all have she... to move. So they all have to move out of uh, Puerto Rico because they can't. They don't have enough money to keep using the 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 dish. Right, um, so she she relocates to New Mexico at the VLA. Yes, so she continues her research at the VLA, and that's when she receives a very unusual radio signal. Mm-hmm. And I love the sequence of her running through the office and just, like, shouting on the walkie-talkie, and it's, like, 150% like science-speak, like, uh-huh. you know, like, calculate it to this coordinates, da-da-da-da-da, but, like, in a very much more, like, 
scientific way. Like, I can't even explain it, but it's just like, it was just funny because she's, she's like, she's like busting through all the doors and the offices, like just yelling in the walkie talkie, like not making yeah. a beat, like trying, you know, trying mm-hmm. to get her research assistants to, you know, triangulate the satellites just so, so they can get a better signal and yeah, record so everything. And... So they don't lose it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so she, she's able to, to, to record the signal and then they can start trying to decode it and understand what it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, and the, and the signal's unusual because it's uh, sort of these little like beeps or whatever, but it's all mm-hmm. in, in like, it's all by like prime numbers. Yeah. It's uh, like, I feel like a big part of what this movie is about is like sort of a, a, a scientific breakdown of if, an alien race wanted to try to contact us, how might they do it? And how might we react when they did? Yes. Um, so yeah. So like Ellie sort of, you know, is sort of leading the way in, in decoding and understanding this. And yeah, like the aliens presumably, or whoever sent the signal use, um, they don't try to send any kind of linguistic message, but they do send like a, a string of prime numbers just to sort of show, hey, we understand math too, because math is the same everywhere you go. Yes, math uh, is the universal language. <laughs> here's a picture of Hitler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, so it's 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 not immediately that. Let's let's let let's 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 go by it step by step. So, okay. <laughs> so, so they get the signal, and they then, like, the government gets contacted at some point because they're like something's happening we don't know if it's uh-huh. aliens or like maybe some kind of like other weird transmission that may be like a security issue but we need the government mm-hmm. involved to make sure everything's okay yeah and so the government officials are there which includes james wood as like this tickle conservative politician mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. literally playing his pre- his current yeah i was gonna say real presence. real stress like, for him basically like re- like real world james wood uh yeah. <laughs> and he's sort of like the antagonist to jody foster throughout mm-hmm. the movie so they're, they're trying to decode the the, the 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 message and they realize like it sort of creates this image and when they zoom out enough it's uh hitler at the olympic games that took place in germany yeah the 1930s 36 yeah Berlin something games, like I that say. which was the uh, first television broadcast so that's mm-hmm. the first television broadcast image that's was jettisoned down to outer space and the first thing that like any life outside of the planet would see it's like hey we're all about hitler <laughs> yeah so it's, it's, it's basically just whoever received the message going like hey we got your message look here it is <laughs> we but, have no idea who this guy is and everybody's like oh shit we can't let and obviously like the news is already like reporting on this and they're just like uh how do we are the aliens nazis and and yeah. ellie's like no they're just they're bouncing back what we sent them. Yes. To show that they're that they're listening. So yeah. <laughs> it, it, there isn't. It's not that big of a plot point. I just thought it was really funny because apparently, yeah. it, like alien, it it it's it, it, it nowadays it seems like the alien. It, it's like the aliens created this ARG and humans are fanic- tra- fr- frantically trying or like Reddit fr- frantically trying to figure out. Yes, it's what, literally uh, like a. It's literally like a, a like a like a like an ARG of like. Yeah. It's like oh, if we just code all this and, and you have to like read the metadata in this JPEG to figure it out uh-huh. or whatever. Like. And then we'll we put it all together and we'll find out who the new Overwatch character is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, it's Hitler. Yeah. Um. Oh, no. Uh- <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, so they 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 further look into the images that they receive. It's like you know, it's a it's a it's a collection of like over like ten thousand of these images, and they're able to sort of like go in and figure out that it's actually all like code, and this code forms a schematic for this giant machine. Mm-hmm. And and Ellie is able to figure this out with the help of uh, another important character, S.R. Haddon, played yes. by John Hurt. Yes, let's talk about let's talk about his character. So Yes. Um so like the 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 scientists are sort of constantly threatened by the government officials to have their research taken away from him from them because mm-hmm. that's always seen as like a, a threat to national security. When they're just like, no, we want to do science and figure out what this is. And the government's like, no. Mm-hmm. So um, so Ellie is contacted by this uh, sort of eccentric technocrat billionaire, S.R. Haddon, who's played by John mm-hmm. Hurt, who is wonderfully hammy in this movie. Like, it's a very, oh, like, yes. it's a very, like, weirdly, like, serious, straightforward movie. And then he pops up and it's just like, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's just like ch- scenery chewing amazingness. Like, yes, I, I, I love God John, Hurt John Hurt is, is God a lot of fun in this role. R.I.P. John Hurt. So the government decides to actually, like, build this machine that the schematics show them mm-hmm. and you know they're 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 wondering you know what this machine actually is like is it a weapon is it you know like some kind of transport device they don't know what it is they're just like dumping all this money into figuring out how to build it mm-hmm. um also during all this obviously the news has been reporting on this it's sort of a wonderful parallel to uh, the day the earth stood still with the news reporting mm-hmm. on yeah alien, i'd say that there's an, some uh, an alien some encounter there. and there's like and there's like you know old-timey fake news TM. And you got, like, a bunch of, like, more, like, dill-hole conservatives on the news being, like, rah, 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 rah. one of whom is wonderfully played by Rob Lowe, which I was very surprised to yes. pop up. Uh- <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, that's yeah. when uh, Palmer enters the picture again, because he's one of those people who's commentating on things. Yeah. Yeah, so he's sort of, like, setting up the, sort of, like, the 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 religious perspective of, like, okay, like, what would happen if aliens actually contacted Earth? Like, sort of, if you are a person who believes in a higher power, how -hmm. would you react to that? (laughs) Yeah, because that raises all sorts of questions that you would then have to uh, grapple with. Yes. And I think, like, he sort of represents the more, like, rational side of grappling with that from a faith perspective. And then there's other people in the film. Like, there's a uh, sort of a religious cult leader who plays a more significant role later who's mm-hmm. he's always sort of like around and trying to like threaten ellie and doesn't want this research to be happening so they realize that the thing that they're building is possibly like a transport device like it can take one person in like this metal sphere and mm-hmm. it like is sort of like a gyroscope that like spins all around and somehow creates like a wormhole and it can that's send... the theory like, yeah that's yeah. the theory that's the theory at the time and it can send like one person to where the aliens who sent the signal are the um I believe they they track the signal it appears to be coming from the star Vega which is about yes. 26 light years away. Yes. Uh, and they kept pronouncing it the vegan system and then I kept thinking of it being the vegan system. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean they might be. Uh So then I kept imagining the signal being like if it's from the vegan system it would be like milk is murder or something like that that's what the the message would be like here's all these quinoa recipes yes (laughs) 
But yeah, so they, they think that that's what this device will do, but they have obviously no way of testing it. They just, or of, of, of verifying that. The only way to, 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 to test it is to build it and then turn it on and see what happens. Yes. And this is obviously like a lot of people don't want to do this or are cautious about doing this. They realize that, you know, this is a machine that can like suppose that in, in, in theory, transport one person. So they have to decide who this one person who's going to represent all of humanity is going mm-hmm. to be to send yeah, to so there's the, this... to send to to send to uh, the vegan system. And yeah, so there's gonna, this, this panel put together. Yeah, to, so like the, so there's a bunch of candidates person. put together. There's like a whole like thing about like you know well only like three of them are American and the rest are international and the Americans are building this. And there's like I like I like I like that they sort of go into like all like the, the the bullshit politics that would happen. If yep, because <laughs> that would definitely happen. Uh, um, and Ellie is one of those uh, people being considered. But uh, so 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 she has a uh, an inquiry before like a panel of representatives from the U.S. government, including um, Palmer. It's it's not just the government. It's it's like uh, it's, it's sort of this international everybody. panel yeah. of of experts of all kinds yeah. to 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 agree on the the best person to send. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and Palmer actually is the one who objects to sending her um, because she's in because of her atheism. Yes, and he, His... he's not comfortable sending a, a representative of humanity who doesn't believe in a higher power. Yeah, because he says that well, ninety five percent of humans believe in some kind of higher power, so it makes mm-hmm. sense to send someone who is representative of that also. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So she's not chosen. The person who's chosen. Uh, is um like her the the asshole her asshole boss who like shuts down her funding in Puerto Rico. Yes, not James Woods, not but James another Woods, of, of but the yeah the other, yeah the other guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, um and uh, she yeah she's she, she's understandably very upset about this. Uh, both like uh you know be, uh, because this is like her dream and her life's work, and also because she feels you know kind of personally betrayed by Palmer, who she you know had this relationship with. That, that that's very upsetting for her yeah so anyways it cuts to later when the machine uh is finished being built and they are mm-hmm. testing it uh it's like it's down mm-hmm. in like it's near like cape canaveral in florida. yeah it's down yeah. in yeah down in down in florida so they're running a test run in there and she's there to you know witness it and all of her research mm-hmm. buddies are there to witness it and it's everything seems like it's going well it's working and then it is sabotaged by the creepy religious cult leader that we've seen sort of throughout the film who's sort of creeping on Ellie. He comes in with like a suicide vest and blows up part of the machine and also mm-hmm. uh, kills the the guy that they chose to uh, send off after they finished testing yeah. it. So that's gone and she thinks that like, you know, oh, you know, they spent almost a trillion dollars building this. They're obviously not going to build a second one to try it out again. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. you know, everything's over. Yeah, and then and and then she's contacted by S. R. Haddon again, who at this time is floating up in like I think it's the International Space Station. It's Mir. It's Mir. It's it's Mir. You know, because the the space will keep the cancer away. Yeah, like <laughs> which is basically. Means... I I, I want to talk about Haddon for a bit because yeah, <laughs> he's a wonderful character in the movie, but this is definitely like. Back in a time when you could have a character who is this very eccentric technocrat billionaire be like a weirdly endearing character uh-huh whereas like now 
I think they would be terrifying because it's like, yeah. oh, you know, they're not like using all their money to like secretly research, you know, secretly mm-hmm. fund all like the scientific research and make sure that this lady scientist can, you know, accomplish her dream. They would be spending all their money like shutting down news organizations they don't like and yeah, these stealing days, the blood uh... of children and swinging elections. Like that's what they do now. <laughs> like... Yeah, these days eccentric billionaires are a lot, they're a lot, scr- a lot scarier. Yes. <laughs> uh, than they were in 1997. I think the obvious parallel to draw to someone today would be someone like Elon Musk, especially because uh, he's like sending, you know, no. like sending his stuff into space. And but it's like, uh, and, and, and it's like people. Uh, there's a lot of issues with Elon. There's Musk. a lot of issues with Elon Musk, and one of those, in like, with generally with like all these. Uh, he's gone uh, off the deep end, and now he thinks that Jews control the media. Oh, he's not Jesus. just like this crazy guy who's sending cars up into space. He's like yeah. gone off the deep end. <laughs> well, and 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 even leaving even leaving that aside, just like the 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 general like that the the subtext of all these powerful billionaires who want to like finance uh, this you know, the space race, uh, even if the government won't, like, that's great, but the subtext there is that they're not interested in saving the Earth, they just want to make sure they don't have to live on it. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, there's not really, pre- like, with, with with Haddon, there's not really, like, a profit motive involved in him Yeah, or at least, it's it's the... not clear what his, what he's getting out of this, other than his own personal amusement. Yeah, um, especially it's, because it's not he's, like you he's know, dying. Yeah, it's 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 not like you know, I'm gonna research all the science stuff, but then turn around and use it so I can make billions more dollars at sort of the yeah. expense of everybody else. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, so it's 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 slightly more altruistic than like a technocrat billionaire would be today. <laughs> yeah, or at least it, at least it seems that way. Part of he's yeah. kind of hard to. To, to, to pin down yeah uh, but yes he's he's up in up in uh, up in space now hanging out at Mir because he, he thinks it might help him live longer um so there's this sort of surreal uh scene where it's like they're having uh basically a skype chat uh but a he's very, hanging like, out on the space station clear looking skype chat for like yeah. 1997 like yeah <laughs> Well, but back then, like, you know, it's like, oh, this te- this is like the technology of the near future instead of just like literally what you and I are using right now to make this podcast. I know. I think in 1997, <laughs> my family still had dial up. Yeah, I'm sure mine did. <laughs> and it took like hours and hours to download like a 20 second video clip. of like, Oh, God, yes. God, <laughs> those were the days. Um, and my but yes, I would have to like copy and paste like fan fiction that i wanted to read from the internet into word and then get off the internet to read it yep 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 because <laughs> you know your parents need to make a phone call they need to make a phone call i can't be sitting there for hours reading harry potter fan fiction they have things to do like yep um but yeah so so he so they're having this skype chat and he's like floating around because he's in space, which I imagine John Hurt had fun filming. Yes. He oh, got to you, be... you can definitely tell he had a ball filming this. Yes, absolutely. He looks delighted um, the entire time. But he tells her that he, uh, unbeknownst to her or the government or anyone else, uh, financed the Japanese to build their own version of the de- alien device because uh, he wanted to have a backup yep. because he's a crazy billionaire. <laughs> yeah, um, I think... I think I... I think his quote is, why have, uh, why have one when you can have two for twice the price? Yes. 
So he says, so it turns out there, there is a, uh, another device and he wants her to go in it. Yeah. Cause he funded it. So he basically owns it. Mm-hmm. So he personally picks her to be the person to be transported. Yep. So that, that happens. Yep. So that goes underway. Her and uh, Palmer have this very heartfelt conversation before she goes. Mm-hmm. They sort um, of make amends or make yeah. up. Make up. Yeah, they make up. They obviously still, still like each other. Um, so and then uh, she goes into the goes into the device, and it's you know they they power it up, and what follows is sort of like this very trippy sequence that's kind of yeah. almost out of two thousand one: A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, very much. You know, as the machine is sort of going around and around like a gyroscope, it is seeming to sort of like create like this wormhole or Mm -hmm. she can sort of start seeing through the metal walls of the sphere that she's sitting in. Mm -hmm. Um, And also and and also all all through this, she has a microphone and cameras set up so they can record what's going on. And the little ball that she's in drops and she's transported out into the galaxy yeah and she can see through the sphere that's like sort of tr- sort of transparent in parts she can see all the galaxies and the stars mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. just, she's just completely amazed and wonderment by it and yeah she's sort of like like go really really fast through a point you know like almost like she's on a roller coaster like going yeah really really, really fast and then stop all of a sudden and then she's like okay what the fuck's going on and then she's uh-huh. like go, go, just keep going. So it's obviously like the sort of like wormhole transport system that the aliens have. Mm-hmm. So the sequence lasts for a little while and then eventually drops her onto this world that is, uh, it's like this beach with mm-hmm. all these palm trees and everything's neon. I was referring to it as the vaporwave planet because <laughs> it's very much yep. that aesthetic. <laughs> yep. You uh, see, like, Macintosh Plus playing in the background or something. <laughs> um, I'm surprised that AMV hasn't been made yet. But anyway, uh, so she's sort of on, like, this weird beach planet, which you, which you then sort of realize, like, call back to earlier in the film when she makes her little drawing of Florida. Mm-hmm. It's based on that. Yeah, like, it's got the same, exact same palm trees. Yeah, and the alien figure that she encounters in this planet looks like her father. Yeah. She, she is approached by her father. Who explains that it's easier for them to communicate with uh, other life forms if they sort of use things that, 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 that those other life forms are familiar with. So they use her, they sort of go into her memories and they use her drawing of Florida and the image of her father to communicate with her. Yeah, they, they find a, a context that she will be able to more easily understand yeah. in order to have this conversation. Yeah, so that totally reminded me of... Um, the movie Solaris by Andrei Tarkovsky. It's like a Russian sci-fi movie from the 1970s. And the premise is that they discover like this planet-sized consciousness. Uh And they're sort of in the space station floating above it. And the Mm -hmm. planet-sized consciousness is trying to communicate with the scientists. And they do, and they, and and, and it does that by like manifesting people from the scientists' memories. So the Mm -hmm. main character is communicated with through the form of his dead wife. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, what the fuck's going on? It looks exactly like his dead wife. <laughs> like, so it's, 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 like, it's like that, yeah. And it's a concept that, that appears not just in science fiction, but also in spirituality. People, yes. you know, receiving what they believe to be communications from higher powers that take the form of 
you know, loved ones or people that they recognize or things that are more familiar to them. Like that's, that, that, that is a recurring concept. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what, that's what these, these, these aliens decide to do. So yeah. they, they so, talk with her. Yeah. They explain that, you know, when they sort of realize that uh, a, a civilization has sort of reached a certain point, they will make an effort to contact them and see if they can actually build this device to meet them. There's no greater purpose to it, really. They just kind of want to see what's going on and sort of like, and they, and they, and explain like, you know, this is sort of like step one. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. you're just starting to take, to join this galactic stage. And it, 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 it does sort of have like, I, I think sort of, um, again, sort of echoes of the day the earth stood still, which mm-hmm. is, you know, like the, in, in, in that movie, uh, Klaatu comes to earth because, humans have now developed nuclear weapons so in other words they're they're not just uh they're they're not just sitting on the sidelines now like they can they have the power to become players in this galaxy and they need to be aware of what that means yes but the the message of the aliens here is a lot less like you know shape up or face the consequences it's more like (laughs) it's more like welcome we're here we're gonna be we're gonna be waiting to see what you do okay (laughs) yes try try not to fuck it up yeah so and then so she's then transported back and sort of falls unconscious and when she wakes up she realizes that from the perspective of all the people who are watching the machine and this launch it just looks like the little sphere dropped right through the machine into the ocean yeah and it like didn't nothing actually happened. go anywhere and they have like tons of video footage that shows this and it all shows the same thing and she's like no i swear like i actually like went to this place Mm -hmm. but nobody really believes her because they don't really have like any kind of evidence for it at the time yeah she the the microphone and video camera that she had with her just recorded static like there was uh there there she has absolutely no proof that this happened which you know she she realizes now puts she's been very critical throughout much of the movie of you know faith and the idea of insisting upon the existence of something that you cannot prove Mm. Uh, and now she finds her that she is in that exact position. Yes. You know, just basically asking the global community to take it on faith that she did have this experience and this communication with this uh, uh, this this extraterrestrial intelligence. Yeah. So she's um called before uh like a like a senate like a senate committee hearing, mm-hmm. just ask you know inquiring her about her experience and whether or not you know they think it actually happened, and uh, James Wood brings up that, you know, well, the person behind the scenes who was sort of making this all happen was S.R. Haddon right before he passed away, floating in outer space. So it could have all just been a gigantic hoax. Yeah, like especially because... Sort of like his, 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 his sort of, like, last, you know, eccentric thing that he did. Like, he basically yeah. committed the biggest hoax in the history of the planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just for, just for funsies, because just he's established funsies, that he's, yeah. a, he's a freaking weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> And that's, you know, that's, that's a, an explanation that makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. It's sort of inconclusive at the end, you know, people can, are going to believe what they want to believe. And Ellie sort of realizes that she can't force anyone to believe what happened to her, but she, she believes it, that it did happen. And that is, and, and that's enough for her. And, uh. Yeah. um, But, um, it, that also brings her sort of closer to Palmer, yeah. Because that's also, like, his big point in the movie is, like, yeah, I mean, like, you can't really, like, have, like, you know, the scientific physical proof of 
faith. It's just something that mm-hmm. you believe in. <laughs> yeah, there there was uh, during a co- the conversation they had earlier in the movie, they, they, she's sort of challenging him on his belief in God when there's no proof that God exists. And he says to her, well, because she's told him about her father. She says, do you love your father? And she says, of course I do. He says, can you prove it? <laughs> like, yeah. Some things you don't need proof. You just yeah. know. So, uh, so it, it's, even though Ellie isn't able to, you know, prove that this happened, she's clearly, she's in a good place emotionally and mm-hmm. uh, she's going to continue her research and uh, it's a positive, positive ending for her. Um, yeah. Her and it's and also- and Palmer kind of like go off together and- Presumably continue their relationship. And, yes, yeah. and, and continue to be awesome together. Yes. Um, but what keeps it from being, like, a complete sort of, like, Inception spinning top ending, like, did it, <laughs> did it happen or didn't it, is uh, you see, I think it's Angela Bassett's character, is yes. she works at the White House, and they're talking about the recorder that uh, Ellie had with her that recorded static, but what they realize and what isn't widely disseminated is that yes, it only recorded static, but it recorded 18 hours of static. And like, in like you know, the one second that she was falling. Exactly. Yeah. So, what, so what, something happened. What really happened? We don't know. Yeah. We um, don't know. It's sort of yeah. up, to, up to you. I know. Um, I was also reading the TV Tropes page for this movie, and someone brought up the good point where like, you know, if, if, if Ellie ate a meal before she traveled, it obviously would have shown that it would have been digesting for 18 hours. Mm, <laughs> so that's yeah, another that's way point. to prove it. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they have 18 hours of static. So there's like, yes. so it sort of ends and it's like, dun, dun, dun. So it's like, hmm. So yeah, that's, that's contact. Um, Yay. I enjoyed it. There's not a yes. lot of like, I feel like there's not a lot of like sci-fi movies like that made. Or <laughs> it's like, yeah. You know, I think it's like it's like that. I can think of like Arrival. I think it's very mm-hmm. think like sciencey based. <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Apparently, like the the, the script got rewritten uh, and reworked many times, and the ending in particular was like sort of uh, a contentious thing. Like they originally, when they first asked Zemeckis to direct it, he was like, oh, "I think it's a great script, except for the last like five pages." Um, like, because at one, one point in the script, the device was going, like, the aliens were going to show up and create this literal, like, laser light show all around Earth. Uh, and then in another version of script, Earth was going to go through a wormhole and, like, appear in the center of the galaxy. So, like, also at one point, George Miller was signed on to direct it, which... Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I'm a little torn. There's not nearly enough car chases in this movie for that. <laughs> well, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's got range. The one thing he did contribute to or his i think one major contribution he did make to the development of the movie is that he it was he who cast jodie foster Ah. or at least she she was cast while he was um uh while he was signed on to direct i kind of want to visit the alternate universe where where he like got to make that movie because apparently like he wanted to have like this whole subplot where the pope was a major character (laughs) and uh he wanted uh past he wanted to um uh, Palmer's character to be played by Ray Fiennes, which I thought would be really interesting. <laughs> um, and I, I think at the, someone at uh, at Warner Brothers was quoted as saying, like, basically they they realized that they, they their their realization they made with Miller was that he was going to he, he was probably going to make an amazing movie, but he wouldn't make it until the next millennium no. because he was just taking too long. And given how long it took him to to finally finish Fury Road, I mean, maybe that's a valid criticism. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I I tend to feel that like. 
the longer a movie's quality tends to be inversely proportional to the amount of time it's the movie spends in development hell. Yes. Uh, but I feel like Contact is an exception to that rule, as is Fury Road. Yes, yes. There definitely are like a couple of exceptions, but usually they're yes. not that great. But mm-hmm, yes, I very, mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed this movie. Enjoyed Matthew McConaughey's fluffy hair. Yes. Like, which is so funny because it's like the first time I like really got into him as an actor was True Detective. Uh-huh. Which is like the complete opposite character from him in this movie where he's just oh, like... Oh yeah, well I think that was... True Detective, like, he's just like this utter nihilist. And... Yeah, well and I think that was the reaction a lot of people had when True Detective <laughs> season one aired because... He's just like, he's supposed to be like this stoner dude. Like He's this stoner dude or he's like this, you know, sweet, sort of non-threatening, nice love interest kind of guy but and then he comes along and and it's just like what this is Matthew McConaughey (laughs) (laughs) and then he does Interstellar uh which is Interstellar is sort of like a a spiritual successor to contact is also sort of interesting to consider yes um, because that's also about father and daughter communicating about about Interstellar and uh father to daughter communications in a sci-fi setting yes (laughs) Uh, also starring Matthew McConaughey So, um, but yes, I'm so glad you liked it. Yay! Uh, (laughs) It was fun. (laughs) Good. And there is one other thing I wanted to to squee at you about, which I, uh, it took... I didn't realize this until years after I watched the movie, and when I did realize it, there was there was much yelling, because S.R. Haddon is the name of the the rich dude. Uh, We don't know what the, I don't think we ever find out what the S or the R stands for, but his name is S.R. Haddon. It's all he's ever known as. And I learned a few years ago that Ezar Haddon was the king of Babylon who built what is now considered to be the Tower of Babel. No! <laughs> like, the, 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 the historical building that is in the Bible associated with the Tower of Babel was built by this guy named Ezar Haddon. It's pro- yeah, it's uh, probably a reference. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. the, like, weirdest, like, most obscure biblical slash, you know, anthropological reference, and it delights me. uh i love i love a series of meaningful i love anything with meaningful or symbolic names and (laughs) this is the kind of like name symbolism that only someone who is as big a nerd as carl sagan would think to do yes (laughs) (laughs) oh bless you carl sagan oh i also noticed that uh uh, Jodie Foster has a bunch of like turtleneck outfits in this. That's true. She does uh, in this in does. this in this movie. Like she's dressed like Carl Sagan in a couple parts. <laughs> she does, and that's that's sweet. He and and um, I also enjoyed like so there there's one part where they're at like this fancy function at the White House, and she has on a very mm-hmm. like Star Trek Deep Space Nine esque evening gown. <laughs> like, uh huh. <laughs> and her hair is all done up. It looks very odd, but I was just like I was just watching it. And I was like that looks like a Star Trek dress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, we miss you, Carl Sagan. He yeah. was, as you said, he, he, he was, you know, this film took about 18 years to get from the original treatment to being released, and he was involved with it during its development and during its filming, and but passed away, I think, just a few months before the film was released. I think he, yeah. he died in 1996. So, this is, uh, I, I haven't... I haven't read the book, and I think uh, Jodie Foster described it as it's not going to, like, win any awards for, like, you know, best book ever written, but it's... Yeah, really... it's kind of like the... It's it's kind of like the book for 2001. Like, yeah, it's, like, even more about the science aspect. Yeah, it's, of... like, not the same as the movie. So, so it's not necessarily a great novel, but it's really interesting book. It's a very interesting read. Yeah. So... <laughs> We got, we, we made it this time. Yes, <laughs> yes, yay. 
so a couple an announcement for for going yes. forward um i wanted to mention that uh we very much enjoy doing this podcast but i do not have enough time to to edit it and get it out every week which yes. is basically record it and uh, research it and record it and edit and post it every week. Yeah, we do this in addition to like our regular full time jobs, and we're yeah. not getting paid for this. <laughs> yeah. So. Um. So so we are going to try moving to a bi weekly. I'm never sure if bi means twice a week or if it means like twice or like every other week. It's, it's both. English it's is confusing. dumb. It doesn't make any sense. But bi weekly, as in we are cutting our content by fifty percent, not increasing it by one hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> our, our alter, we're going to we're, plan on, on releasing these on alternating weeks. Yes. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. But hopefully, like, the episodes can, will maybe be, like, a little bit longer to make up for yeah, it. Yeah, I think we could probably um, do that. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be every other week now just so that Jess doesn't die. <laughs> yes. And if this becomes a huge phenomenon and we have, like, you know, lots of, lots of people clamoring for it every week, then maybe we can revisit that, but... If, like, Casper Mattress suddenly... Yeah, if Casper Mattress and Nature Box decide they want to sponsor us, we could probably swing a a weekly uh, weekly thing. Anyway, we don't need to be giving free advertising to these people. They can pay us for it. But, uh, so just wanted to announce that. But what are we going to have for our next episode yay so uh so it's uh june 4th so we are is it june 4th no june yeah it's june 4th for june 4th yes so uh it's pride month yay Yay! it's the most wonderful time of the year uh (laughs) insert rainbows here um Mm -hmm. So for this month, uh, or at least like the two episodes that we're doing this month, uh, Jess and I are going to be talking about uh, LGBT LGBT plus themed media. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, for my first recommendation for Pride Month for Jess, I am going to have her play a indie visual novel game by Brianna Lee called mm-hmm. Butterfly Soup, and um, it is a uh, pay what you want. Uh, indie game so you can either like download for free or you can send the creator a couple bucks to get it um but i definitely recommend you know paying what you can for it because it's a really wonderful adorable game uh so it's a visual novel and i'm just gonna quote from the website for it which is uh a visual novel about gay asian girls playing baseball and falling in love that sounds delightful (laughs) it is it is it is very very cute all right so um for unical i have something i've been i've been honestly surprised i haven't made you watch before because i'm i i've kind of been obsessed with it ever since i saw it (laughs) um which is the uh hbo adaptation of tony kushner's angels in america yes which is a uh it's it's a it's based on it's it's the adapted form of a two-part play uh, which has the amazing title angels in america a gay fantasia on national themes which was written by tony kushner and was basically a uh examination of aids and homosexuality in america in the 1980s um and uh the hbo miniseries was from 2000 and uh what was it it's from 2003 it was adapted by tony kushner directed by mike nichols starring um, among others, Al Pacino, Meryl Streep, Patrick Wilson, Mary Louise Parker, Emma Thompson, uh, Jeffrey Wright, who we know from Westworld. <laughs> our boy. Our boy. Yeah. Uh, Justin Kirk, who has I, has not been in enough since this, in my opinion. Uh, um, he's lovely. He's delightful. It's beautiful and weird. And I wish that like people 
talked in real life the way that people talk in this miniseries. <laughs> like, I just love the, 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 the language and the dialogue. And um, this series was very, very important to me in uh, when I first saw it. And it's still, I still have a, a soft, spot, soft spot for it now. So I'm really, I'm very Aww. curious to see what you think of it. Yeah, um, I don't really know too much about it, like what it's about, really. Um, yeah. All I know is that uh, currently, I think it's playing in New York and Andrew Garfield stars in it. Oh, yeah. Um, I think uh, I did see something about how there's a, there's been a, a stage revival of the yeah. play, which is great. Um, and also that it has Roy Cohn in it. <laughs> yes, Al Pacino. recently play, has plays. become a very important figure again in yep. the political zeitgeist. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that is one of the the one of the uh, things that is true in the stage version, and also in the movie version, uh, is that actors will play multiple characters, mm-hmm. uh, similar to like Hamilton, for example. Yeah. Uh, and so, one of the characters Al Pacino plays is Roy Cohn, and he's uh, pretty amazing. That yeah. uh, <laughs> he, he's amazing. Meryl Streep is amazing. The whole cast is fantastic. So, yes. uh, it is, I believe, a six-part miniseries. So six hours total, and it's all on. It's uh, it's all on HBO. If you have HBO Go or HBO Now, you can uh, stream it that way. So I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. So yes, Happy Pride. <laughs> yes, indeed. This will be fun. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. So and I. I I think like I think like even for like the month of June, even though we're only gonna have two episodes, we might still like wreck stuff on like the the, the Twitter account at least because like mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, that, I think that sounds you know, like a good idea. I, I, especially me, like I want to talk about, but I can only pick two things, and I'm like, oh, it's so hard. Uh, <laughs> so where can people find our social media, Nicole, with all uh, of our wrecks and squeeing? Uh, <laughs> Um, so we're on Twitter at Getting Wrecked. That's G-E-T-T-I-N-G-R-E-C-D. Mm-hmm. We're also on Tumblr at Getting Wrecked. And you can email at us at gettingwreckedpodcast at gmail.com. Fantastic. Yay. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you have a fantastic week. And uh, we love you. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.